In our own time, we wanted you to be introduced as two of our newer ministry partners, Jeff and Tanya Rallier. Jeff and Tanya have recently gone through Welcome 101, recently moved to the area. We are so excited to have them as part of our church family and hope that you will be encouraged and celebrate with us the work God is doing in their lives and really in all of our lives. So they're, they're with us. Uh, they videoed their God story for us. So enjoy this video. Celebrate with us. Hi, Lake Forest Church Davidson. We're Jeff and Tanya Rallier, and uh, we're super excited to be uh, ministry partners, and we want to take an opportunity to share our God story. Our God story is really one of healing and redemption and surrender, but for all those things to be true, it actually uh, starts with um, really brokenness, and uh, that started years ago with me making a whole lot of seemingly unimportant decisions, and those decisions ultimately led me to having an affair. Um, and that all came out on kind of one really big day where we sold a house, we moved eight hours away into a new condo that we were standing up that was supposed to be our uh, new empty nester place. And as we were unpacking all of our stuff and I was walking friends out of that condo, when I was walking back in, God verbally told me, I heard him say, she knows I told her. And as I walked back up the stairs, it was evident that she knew. And for me, that was honestly and personally the worst and best day of my life because obviously I didn't know what was gonna happen with our marriage, but I had been uncovered and unveiled. And uh, two days later, we did begin an amazing healing process. Yeah, it was uh, really about God coming into that process and where we had made a mess of everything. He came in with only the way God can do and picked up all of our broken pieces and put us back together. And really a big part of that was our choosing to surrender to him and to his will. And we really had to walk through a process of tearing down a whole lot of idols in our life and surrendering things to him. And so we ended up being homeless for a period of time. We ended up um, losing, we had lost both of our jobs in the process. Um, and we were actually couch surfing for a while between family and friends. And then eventually God actually took us, uh, gave him a job and we moved to Texas. And when we got to Texas, or actually before we got to Texas, I found this ministry called Anchor of Hope. And it's where couples who have already walked this road of infidelity turn back and they tell their stories and they give a lot of good information on how not to create even more brokenness um, through this process. And so we just walked in their footsteps and they led us along this healing journey. And so now that we're healed and God has taken all of our broken pieces and put them back together, we are choosing to um, serve him by uh, walking that road um, like others did before us and reaching back and helping the next person that's coming along the journey to a path of hope and healing. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, for us, just really, really briefly, there's so much that goes into that, but we, we feel that God took us into a place where he could heal us and then he's planted us here, here so that we can actually take that healing and bring it to others that we know exist, that we know we can bring this healing ministry to. And so we know God's doing amazing things in our lives. He's truly restored and healed our marriage. 
And now he's called us to do something with that. And we're excited to be a testimony because we know that we're saved through his blood and through our testimony. Well, I am, uh, I am Bud Brainerd. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's good to be coming out of the bullpen. I don't feel much pressure. Uh, there are two outs and nobody on base. So, uh, so we, can, uh, we can throw a few... Uh, through a few balls and to walk a few people and we'll be, we'll be just fine. Um, we are talking about God's stories. Jeff and uh, Tanya, thank you so much for, for yours. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, a, a little known character named Josiah. Now, uh, Josiah's God story is really, really interesting. I want to give you a little background on it and then we're going to kind of break it down into, uh, into three sections. Uh, the background is that Josiah was a king of Judah. Now, his grandfather and his father were also kings, but they didn't do a very good job. They, uh, they went after other gods, they worshipped idols, they let the temple go into disrepair, and, uh, and his father's name was Ammon, and, and Ammon was so bad, so inept, that he only was king for two months, and then some of his own officials assassinated him. So you can imagine, he had to be really, really weak. Uh, when his father is assassinated, Josiah is eight years old. So he becomes king at a very young age. And then about 18 years later, we come to this part of his God story. And so we're going to pick it up there. Now, Josiah's God story starts with an HG. TV uh, episode. Now, you, you know what HGTV is, right? It's Holy God's Temple Venue. That's what that stands for, in case you were wondering. So uh, Josiah was not like his father and his grandfather. Josiah really wanted the temple to be renovated. He wanted to, to renew worship. And so he hired some construction supervisors, and they hired some carpenters and builders and masons to do the renovation. Now, if you've ever been in a home that was being renovated, you know that one of the things that happens is that you begin to clean the house before the workers show up. So you clean the house, you clean the basement, you clean out the attic, and that's exactly what was happening in the temple. During this cleaning, the high priest found something. He found something that had been missing for a long time. I don't know if you've ever found a treasure that had been missing for a long time. I have. In going through some boxes last year in my attic, I came across a box that contained uh, a bunch of items that had belonged to the uncle that I was named after. He served in the Navy, and, uh, and he was killed in 1954, only two weeks before I was born. And so that's how I inherited his name. In that box, I discovered about 15 letters that he had written to his sister, who was my mother. And those letters all came from the ship that he was stationed on. He was stationed on BB-63. Now, in case you don't know what that is, BB-63 is the Iowa-class battleship named Missouri. Now, if that still doesn't ring a bell, 
1945, on the deck of the Missouri, the Japan Empire surrendered unconditionally to the United States. So I had no idea that he had been stationed on that historic ship. Now, meanwhile, back at the temple, the high priest found an historic document too. It was a book. And most biblical scholars believe that this book was probably a copy of the book of Deuteronomy, a book of the law. And this leads us to Josiah's first encounter. It's an encounter with God's word. In verse 10, it says, Saphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now that raises a question. Why is it that the reading of God's word would make somebody tear their clothes? Well, in, in Jewish custom, and this custom actually goes all the way back to Joseph. In Jewish custom, the tearing of your clothes is an expression of deep grief and anger over someone's death. So, for instance, when Jacob was told that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal, he tore his clothes. When Job heard that his children had all been killed, he tore his clothes. King David and all of his men tore their clothes when they heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And Josiah tears his clothes because he realized that Israel was sinning against God. But is sinning against God really the same as death? Well, the short answer is yes. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And to be separated from God, who is life himself and is the source of life, is to be dead. And it is sin that separates people from God. Now, while most of us don't tear our clothes, this little episode in Josiah's God story is still instructive for us. It's still a teachable moment because Josiah's first response to becoming aware of his sin was grief. And grief is the proper response to sin. We know that because in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we have Adam and Eve, and they sinned, and then we've got one, one brother murdering another brother. And by the time we get to Genesis 6, verse 5 and 6, here's what we find. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Our sin grieves the heart of God. And when it begins to grieve our heart, it is then and only then that we finally repent. When the word of God encounters us, and exposes our sin, it should cause our hearts to grieve. And it's in our grief that we begin to experience God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's healing. Jeff and Tanya can confirm 
this truth in their lives. The prophet Joel probably said it best. Much later in the life of Israel, Joel writes this in, in chapter 2, verse 13. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and compassionate. So that's kind of the first episode in, in Josiah's God story. The second episode is that Josiah encounters a society that has very different values. So Josiah said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. If you want to know exactly what they found, all you have to do is go back and read the book of Deuteronomy. It's more interesting than you may think. There's a lot of information in it about sin. Back in the 1970s, there was a psychologist named Carl Menninger. Carl Menninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? Now, while I don't agree with everything in his book, he does point out that society, he's writing in our society, American society, that in our society, we, we no longer use the word sin. And his assessment back in 1970 is still valid today. So if you want to know what happens when a society no longer acknowledges sin, well, the answer can be found in just about every period of history, in every failed culture, in every abusive relationship, in every act of greed. Sin cannot be defined by majority vote. The description of sin is found in the book that was discovered in the temple. It's found in the book that you have on your coffee table or your nightstand. It's found in the book that hopefully is in your hands right now. Sin is defined in the Bible, God's word to us. Now, if you are unsure and a lot of people are. If you are unsure whether or not a thought, word, or deed is sinful, my best advice is read the book. Just read the book. Now, there's a lot more confusion about what people think the book says than there is about what the book actually says. And this is exactly why Josiah had his most trusted advisors. It was a committee of five. He had them read it, and then they reported back what they had read. And Josiah drew a really astute conclusion. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, you know, it could be that Josiah is, is really convinced that they were victims here. God's anger burns against us because of those who have gone before us. But Josiah knows that they're not victims. Yes, they may have lived, under bad kings, or bad parents, or bad priests, or bad politicians. 
but every individual, himself included, remains responsible for their own actions. God created us with an ability to choose, to change, to be addressed by the word of God, with the ability to own up to our own sins, to grieve over our sins, and to repent. Our past does not control us. Its influence, while it is significant and powerful, can be annulled by one word from God. God both helps us identify our sin and then he makes a way for us to receive forgiveness. This is exactly why Josiah, after learning what was in the book, decided that he would read it. He would read it to everyone. 2 Kings 23 verses 1 and 2 says this, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. All the people from the least to the greatest because everyone is responsible for their actions and because they're responsible for their actions they would need to know the word of God how can one obey God if you don't know what God requires of you does that make sense it would not be enough for the king to know it would not be enough for the high priest to know it would not be enough for the elders to know. Everyone should know. So he made that happen. Now today we have uh, Johannes Gutenberg and the translators and everyone else to thank that we all have access to God's word. But here's the thing. Knowing the Bible just by its cover won't do you much good. You're going to need to read it. It will open your eyes to things you could and would never see otherwise. It's the only way for you to come to appreciate God's greatness, his goodness, his sovereignty, his grace, his mercy, and his justice. Now, I would never suggest that you will understand everything that you read in the Bible. I still have some questions myself. But God and pastors and elders and teachers love to hear and to respond to your questions. We're all in this together. So after reading God's word to, to God's people, he does something else. He begins to clean house. He cleans God's house of idols. He cleans Jerusalem of idols. He cleans his house in every household of idols. And if you want to read how thorough his housekeeping is, if you if you need a plan for for spring cleaning, read 2 Kings chapter 23 verses 4 through 20. It's pretty thorough. As a matter of fact, I would hire him anytime to come and clean my house. But after a thorough house cleaning, he does something else. 
he restores the celebration of Passover. Now, Passover is the remembrance of God's deliverance of Israel from that slavery in Egypt. Passover had gone by the wayside. Maybe people felt it had lost its significance. Maybe they felt it was an outdated liturgy that was merely done by rote. Maybe it reminded them of who they were to be as God's people. When they knew that, they knew that they had gone astray and that they had not been faithful to the God who had given them their identity. It really doesn't matter what the reason was. Passover had dropped from their religious practices. You know, it's easy to forget our God-given identity if we stop doing the things that are intended to remind and instruct us of who we are by the grace of God. Reading the Bible, baptism, communion, weekly worship, prayer, serving other people in Jesus' name, all these things not only define our calling, they define our identity in Christ. And like Passover, they can be activities that can easily be replaced by other activities, work, recreation, both of which are good and necessary. Yet neither of these can replace the means of grace we have been given to remind us of who we are and whose we are. So Josiah's role in God's plan is a really significant one. He renewed the knowledge of God's word among God's people. He restored and renovated the temple. He reinstated the primary religious celebration designed by God to help people remember who and whose they were. And in 2 Kings 23-25, it says this about Josiah. There was never a king like him. Josiah dies a hero in battle near the city of Megiddo at the hand of the Egyptian pharaoh Necho. His people took his body back to Jerusalem and he's buried there. Now there's one more section about Josiah that we need to, to hear this morning. It's that when we learn from Josiah's God story that what we do matters, we also learn that what happens next is out of our control. I love Josiah's God story. It's inspiring and instructive. It reminds me of the responsibility of Christian leaders to God, to their churches, their families, the nation, and yes, even the world. What he did mattered. What he did made a difference in his time. And what he did can make a difference in our time as well if we'll pay attention. That's the good news. But there's also some bad news. What he did didn't last very long. Josiah had two sons. And after his death, 
Son number one was appointed king by the people. Unfortunately, his story ends with this commentary. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So son number one is replaced by son number two. Now son number two is appointed to be king by the same Pharaoh that killed his father. So here's, here's, an, here's a, a king of Judah appointed by uh, an Egyptian Pharaoh. And the assessment of number two's reign also ends with, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There is no formula of parenting that can guarantee that children will grow up to the, be the people that we wish them to be. By the grace of God, many children do grow up to be adults everyone can admire and applaud. But not all do. And no one knows this pain and grief more than our Heavenly Father. Beginning with Adam and Eve and with every generation from then until now, God has witnessed the missteps of his children and he has grieved over our sins. Israel, God's own people from the very beginning, had periods of faithfulness. And they had periods when they abandoned or had forgotten God and they'd gone after other gods. It seems like no amount of human effort or willpower will ever be able to cure the problem of sin. They needed to be saved. They needed to be redeemed. They need to be born from above. We need to be saved. We need to be redeemed. We need to be born from above. See, God has always known that his children cannot save themselves. We cannot redeem ourselves by following a formula. Now, we can clean out every idol that we see, but we can't clean up the idols that we're blind to. We can clean up our behavior by not acting on our emotions or our prejudices. We can clean up our language by not saying what we're thinking. We can clean up our outside with soap and water. Why do we know that? But we cannot cleanse our hearts. And the heart is where the problem resides. Josiah found the book of the law, and by reading it and following it, he generated a great revival. The book of the law is important. It has value. It is good. But the law was never, never intended as a means of salvation. It was given as a good gift to reveal our sin and to show us how to live. Jesus came that we might not only have our sins forgiven, but that we might be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Our sins which separate us from God have all been paid for. Jesus is the one who redeems us with his blood and through his blood, our hearts are washed clean. 
So to acknowledge our sin, we must first know what sin is. And to know what sin is, we must first encounter, or maybe it's better put, we must first be encountered by the word of God. If we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us, and we make God out to be a liar. But if we will confess our sin, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Grace and forgiveness are found in Jesus Christ. So let his grace enter into your heart. You may find, as Jeff and Tanya have found, that there is hope rooted in the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus. And that is God's story. And he's sticking to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this ancient king in Israel and for his God story. Lord, help us this morning to acknowledge our sin. Help us to grieve over our sin. Help us to ask for forgiveness. Help us this morning, Lord, trust in Christ for our salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.